Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Ruler podcast. I'm Ian Parkinson. It's a slightly unusual podcast, this. Uh, not tied to a particular edition of the magazine. We're coming from the Ruler Classic, which is a bike show with a difference, uh, being held at Venopolis in London. There's a pretty impressive uh, lineup of guests and contributors, and I'm hoping to speak to as many of them as I can over the course of this programme. First of all, I'm joined by Bruce Sandell, who's Managing Director of Grupo Media, who own Ruler and is one of the people behind the Ruler Classic. Uh, Bruce, can you tell us what is the idea of it? What is the Ruler Classic? It's an idea I've been thinking about for about four years. I'm very fortunate to be able to go to lots of bike shows. Two things I don't like about other bike shows. One are the venues and two are the fact they're not focused on my passion in road, on road cycling. So we wanted to create something that's solely about the, uh, road cycling and focused at the premium end of the market. So we wanted something that the readers of the magazine would feel like it's worth either taking a day off work or a day off their bike to come along to. So once you had that idea, how difficult was it to convince people that actually this was something that would be worthwhile doing for a business? One of my challenges was that we're a media company and we know about creating a fantastic magazine, but we're not an events company. So we needed a partner that could help us deliver uh, an event. So it took me quite a long time to find the right person and in Telegraph Events, uh, we found that company. They have a wide range of events. At one end, they have the London Bike Show, which is a very sort of broad-based cycle show. But at the other end, the thing that really excited me was a show they have called Salon QP, which is a watch exhibition that takes place at the Saatchi Gallery. And it had that sort of look and feel that I wanted for this show. One of the things I don't like about other bike shows is they don't look that great. And I wanted something that reflected our very high standards of design and photography and something that made bikes look like a work of art, which is how we all feel they are. Was it hard to convince people that uh, cycling was something that they should put their money and their brand into? I have to say no. And I think, you know, that's the way the sport's changed. I mean, it's unrecognisable now, I think, from 10 years ago. You know, to have a brand like Maserati, you know, would have been unheard of 10 years ago. But they look at cycling as a fantastic way to reach the right audience. In the past, they've been quite active in golf. Cycling is the new golf, isn't it? Apparently so. You know, if you look at it from their perspective, golf is very overcrowded in terms of sponsors, particularly at the luxury end of the market. Um, it's a very expensive sport and you know numbers are declining in cycling you've got the exact opposite and particularly as a luxury brand like Maserati you get huge standout in a sport like cycling you know they're they're not overcrowded with other like sponsors Um, you know when we announced that sponsor 
you could almost feel that sharp intake of breath from people like you know wow you've got a brand like Maserati involved and what's fantastic is they're not you know they're, they're, this is part of a long-term program for them you know they have David Miller as an ambassador they're involved in the Tour de Yorkshire they're involved in our show on a long-term basis and with them we'll work to sort of grow the, grow the ruler, ruler classic Good luck with the whole event, Bruce. I'm off to find some famous cycling figures. Thanks, Ian. It's not often I can say this, but it's an absolute honour to uh, welcome onto the Ruler podcast the best cyclist that ever lived, probably, uh, Mr Eddie Merckx. Yes, good evening. Thank you. One of the things that everyone says is there will never be another Eddie Merckx. There will never be, again, someone who dominates the sport in the way that you did. Do you think that's right? Do you think cycling has changed so much that uh, it can never be like that again? Yeah, for sure, uh, cycling has changed. But uh, if you see other sports, uh, also hard sport, you look at tennis, you can also have... Uh, uh, players who, who play all the years, and I think also cyclists. Uh, if you have uh, people who have the capacity that had before, and the the, uh, the other passion of cycling, I think now what is possible to to do the same that I was doing. I'm not a, somebody of, a, of another planet. Everyone seems so specialised now that uh, the idea of someone winning all the Grand Tours, all the classics, setting the world down seems <laughs> seems very far fetched now. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it changed, but uh, I like my cycling uh, when I was riding because uh, I like race. It was a passion, and so uh, maybe if I was born this year, so I also have to do the same than, than the riders today. But uh, I tell you, I prefer uh, my cycling. When you do look at modern cycling, when you look at uh, current cycling, who are the riders that you think uh, they're, you know, they've got it? They're, they're the real standout riders at the moment. I have riders like uh, Sagan, who is a world champion, and uh, Chris Fromm for the stage riders, for sure. And then before you have uh, Bradley Wiggins, uh, uh, you have uh, great sprinters like Cavendish, uh, you have uh, Kittel, uh, Christoph now, uh, that's uh, Contador, you have uh, Nibali, uh, Aru, uh, Quintana, you have a great rider also like uh, Valverde. I think the big champions now also. So, uh, but it changed, but it's always a hard sport and uh, talent is not enough. You have to work hard to stay on the, on the top. Do you think Sagan, of all contemporary riders, is the one who has the most mercs about him, if you like? Yeah, in the, in the one-day races, for sure. But in the stage races, he, he's not climbing enough to win the Tour de France. I think uh, Chris Fromm is a better uh, uh, climber, is better uh, time trialer, so he's... Yeah, but Sagan, I like very much Sagan because he's a very modern cyclist and uh, it's good for cycling that uh, Sagan is a world champion. It's good for uh, cycling because he's a, he's a real hard racer. Yeah, absolutely. He, he's always in the attack. He's a rider that like, like the riders, like, like I was doing in my time. But uh, now it's different and I know that now the, the, the cyclists have more pressure because it's more uh, media to the, the races. And, uh, but... Okay, it's still a hard sport, and it's still the best, the nicest sport of the world is cycling. When you look at modern riders, how do you think they would have done against Merckx in '69? I don't know. You, know, you know, you you cannot compare different uh, times, and uh, the, the most important is to be the best when you ride. And I'm the best of my generation, and that's for me enough. 
Eddie Merckx, it's been an honor to uh, talk to you. It's been an honor to have you on the Ruler podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you. Delighted to welcome onto the Ruler podcast the winner of uh, this year's Ruler Classic Best Women's Rider, but probably more importantly than that, world champion Lizzie Armister. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Have you got used to people saying world champion Lizzie Armistead yet? No, not really, actually. It's still nice every time I hear it. Have you uh, been out in the world champions' jerseys yet? Yeah, yeah. I've been training now since the 1st of November, so I won't go out without it on, obviously. I've worked hard to earn that, so uh, I'm making the most of it. Have you had time since the race to sort of think back and, and, and think it through, or is it still just a little bit of a blur for you? Yeah, it's still a little bit of a blur, and I think that happens with a lot of things that happen in your life, those special moments. You almost wish there was a fly-on-the-wall video in it for you. I mean, obviously there was um, the video footage of me crossing the line, but there's no recorder for the emotions, and it's, I suppose, just something so special, and it means so much to me that I am now world champion, and yeah, I will have those memories forever, but yeah. It did seem to have sort of meant more to you than, than, than other races. Yeah, well, the rainbow jersey in cycling is iconic. It's what everybody wants, um, and it's the biggest win of my career. I've, I've won other races, but as you say, the rainbow was always my dream race. I've also got a sense that uh, this year, with you winning the women's uh, title and Peter Sagan winning the men's title, they were quite popular victories. I think people felt that, you know, you were proper racers and you'd really worked for those for both those races. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge compliment to me. I understand how popular and why uh, Sagan is so popular. I enjoy watching him race as well. And um, I was extremely happy that he won the world, especially in the way he won it. That's the kind of racer that I would like to emulate. I love attacking. I love making the race difficult. It's no fun just crossing the line after a sprint. I wanted to spin it out and do it the way I did it. And quite a few times in your career you've put everything in. You know, you've, you've, you've nearly won, but luck hasn't been with you or whatever. But this time it all came together. Yeah, I mean, it's difficult for everything to go right on one day, but it's been a long time coming. And with age and experience and strength, um, I knew I could get there eventually, it was just a matter of when. You've had a really good year this year, but next year is going to be a challenging one, isn't it? Yeah, next year is going to be exceptionally difficult. The um, Olympics, I've been to see the course, it's just brutal. Like, climb after climb, and steep and long, everything is in there, even cobbles. So it's, it's going to be the best bike rider in the world that day that wins the race. And I like those kind of races. Tactics won't come into it, it will come down to who's the strongest. Lizzie Armstead, good luck for next year. Thank you very much. Earlier on on the podcast, we heard Bruce Sandell talking about how uh, some big brands have been attracted to cycling and to the Rulo Classic. Joining me now on the podcast is the Maserati brand ambassador, David Miller. David, uh, welcome along. Hi. Can you explain to us what exactly is a brand ambassador and how come I didn't see the uh, job advert? Uh, yeah, I don't know. These things don't really come along often. You chase sort of dream of these things happen and then one day they come to you. So uh, serendipity really. Maserati wants to get into cycling because it's a dem demographic for their new model, the Ghibli. And uh, the fact that I was recently retired and quite high profile in, in cycling, it kind of the timing was perfect. I could actually have time to work with them. It is an extraordinary thing, isn't it? Um, 10, 15 years ago, the idea of a brand like Maserati being associated with British cycling would have seemed a little unlikely, but, uh, but cycling has changed. It's completely changed. I mean, it, it really has. I mean, look at this, the show that we have here, the Rudo Classic, is something that would have been unimaginable a few years ago. The fact we have, you go into any magazine shop, there's probably over a dozen cycling magazines. It's probably the number one 
sports literature of choice cycling books and then there's then there's just the, the massive amounts of participation the, the new brands coming in all the time it's just booming do you think it's going to last or do you think it's going to be uh, uh, over again in a couple of years uh, no it's not going anywhere but i mean obviously the, the the acceleration has to at some point kind of slow down i mean it can't you'd imagine it can't keep going like this but if we can get to a plateau maintainer that would be fantastic I've just finished reading your latest book, Racer, which I think is a, a tremendous book. Right at the end of it, there was something which, uh, which I found interesting. You were almost sort of uh, lamenting uh, the passing of old-school British uh, cycling clubs and whether that got sort of lost in the uh, modern cycling. Uh, well, no, it's not been lost. It's just been dwarfed, I think. I think that's a, the reason the sport kind of stayed alive in the UK when it wasn't popular was because of these old small clubs and that's how I got into the sport and uh, I think it's easy for us to forget and perhaps belittle those those clubs now in their, their old-fashioned ways but I think we, we owe British cycling to those clubs and I don't think we can forget them. Do you um, look at racing currently and, and wish that you were starting your career now? Uh, no, I'm pretty happy. Maserati ambassador. Got a chapter three clothing line. Ah, life's sweet. Ah, I wouldn't change it. David Miller, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. I've now come to a slightly quieter part of the Ruler Classic, and I'm joined by Fabian Cancellara. Uh, Fabian, I know you have to leave pretty soon. Um, next year, your last year in the peloton. It will be the last one, and uh, I'm really excited. I'm really motivated i have a really big will and have no stress i have i'm no i have no hurry i mean well i restarted training uh, now and um, yeah i'm i'm on basic training getting up uh, some kilometers in the legs and uh, yeah move on move on for next year i try just to enjoy to enjoy uh, my all kilometers until to my day off less pressure now then yeah kind of kind of less pressure yeah i think uh, after this year, when we see with my crashes and my sicknesses and my, my not performing how I wanted to do, I think uh, I have really nothing to lose. What would be your big ambition for your last season? Every race is kind of an ambition because I knew it's, I know that it's going to be the last one. Fabian, I know you haven't eaten and there's some food just arriving, so I'll let you go. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Chris Boardman, good to see you and good to have you on the Ruler podcast. Thank you very much. When you see something like this, so many people um, um, spending you know, so much money on, on cycling, uh, does it make you think back a few years to when British cycling was a very different beast? Being a retailer of bicycles, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, yes, it was different and it's, uh, it's quite curious to have spanned almost three generations really of, of cycling being a kind of weird, geeky thing that people did to getting involved at the start when there was well there was four gold medals and I was just speaking to somebody with four gold medals in 1992 with Redgrave, Christie, Sally Gunnell, me that was it you know it was a, it was a small club um, but it was lottery funding that really made the difference in a sport certainly the track side of it that was was largely um, amateur you know so there wasn't a big professional base to keep it going it made all the difference and you mix that in with, with Peter first Peter Keane who set up the architecture and then Dave uh, Dave Brailsford, who had the courage and imagination to go even further, and, and we've got where we are. I don't think anybody would have predicted it. I don't think anybody would have predicted just a few years ago that we'd have had a British winner of the Tour de France, so it's been remarkable to watch. Much prefer it on this side of the fence, though. Really? Do you actually not miss the... Uh... No, not in the slightest. I was very lucky to retire when I was ready, when I'd had enough, utterly had enough, for various reasons. Um, and I stopped in 2000, managed to stop. I'd had a, if not a high night, then certainly a, 
an, an interesting way with the, with the uh, final hour. And, uh, and it's been great on this side, being able to watch uh, and go for a beer afterwards is, is brilliant. And as a businessman, is the, the bike market in the UK still pretty healthy? It's very good. Um, there's a good chance, I think, we're getting towards the top of the apex at the moment because we've saturated it. We've sucked in a lot of new people um, and people don't buy really expensive bikes every year. You know, they tend to do it every two, three years like you would with a car or anything else that's, uh, that's expensive. So I think uh, the industry is going to go through that. But on the whole, it's as healthy as it's ever been. We sell more bikes now in the UK than we do cars, which is always a good thing. Um, and at the moment, we're on the cusp of making proper commitment to making sure there's space for people to ride bikes. And that's a whole other community, normal people in normal clothes. And that, for me, would be when we're really winning. Because a lot of what you do now is also you know, lobbying uh, the government, lobbying people about uh, cycle safety. Yeah, it's an easy soapbox to stand on, to be honest. You know, it's about as sturdy as they come. It's it, utterly supported by facts, which, whichever platform you want to uh, you want to have a battle on, be it, be it economic or health or pollution or anything, you know, cycling is one of the key tools you could use to address it. So it's an easy cause to champion. But the problem is it's, it's difficult to pin down who it is that's getting in the way. Olympic year next year, how confident are you that British cycling, uh, the British riders are going to do really well in Rio? Well, it'd be the first time since 1988 that I've been away from it. Um, this is the first Olympic cycle that I've not been involved, as I say, on one side of the fence or the other. That was another remarkable thing to be involved in with uh, Dave, Dave Brailsford as it went through Beijing and then London. It was, it was quite remarkable. But I, I, I drove away from the Olympic Games and, and retired. You know, that was it as I drove away from here. Um, and I've just been writing about it actually in a book, just finishing it up, so it's quite fresh. And I think that level of success, everybody's sort of getting their head around the fact it's unsustainable. You know, seven out of ten track gold medals went to one country. I mean, you almost think it's, it, it's, it's better that it isn't sustainable because that would kill the sport if one country was so dominant. So I would expect, from what I've seen, that the GB team will be competitive in virtually every event. They've got a much harder competition on the hands. The other nations, Australia's bounced back in the endurance events, France in the sprint events. So it's going to be a lot harder. And the road race is going to be really difficult because it's such a tough course. So I think three golds would be, we'd be happy with that. But... Once you're in the hunt, you're never quite sure. There is a sense that uh, the rest of the world has sort of learned from Team GB and is, is catching up fast. Yeah, well, my, my big worry in 2008 is we've just shown everybody all the things you can do with technology and a real understanding of the demands of the event. And we've gone four years early, you know, and we got you know, eight gold medals there. Um, and that was just unbelievable. You know, seen it. We had more than... We were kind of in the top ten as a nation in the medal tables uh, and closed the gap. Chris Baldwin, thanks for talking to us. You're welcome, thank you. I've now come across uh, someone who'll be very familiar to people who've been following cycling in the UK for a good few years, uh, Malcolm Elliott. Malcolm, for anyone too young to remember uh, you in your heyday, which wasn't that long ago, I suppose, um, tell us uh, some of the highlights of your career. Uh, it, was a, it was an extended heyday uh, there, I'd say. Um, uh, well, I think if you got back uh, Commonwealth Games, gold medals, uh, won the milk race, as it was then, then Tour of Britain, being national champion, uh, won the points race in the, uh, in the uh, Tour of Spain, uh, won the points competition around the Tour of Spain, and um, a whole bunch of other stuff along the way, uh, between uh, started racing in 77 and uh, stopped in 2011. Starting at a time when actually British cycling was a relatively small affair compared to how it is now. 
Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, when, I, when I recall the uh, back in the days, the early days, some of the uh, the, the trips representing the national team, uh, there were things were done on such a, a shoestring. Really, um, it, it was uh, very, very much uh, a, a minor sport back in those days. Uh, we had to fight for any kind of uh, international international success. Uh, it was 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 hard hard fought and uh, and and rare to rare to come across. So uh, so now, I mean, uh, the, the, the evolution that, uh, that there's been over the last uh, 15, 20 years, and especially and that's ramped up in the, if you go back in the, into the last five years, it's uh, it's just phenomenal what uh, what's happened. Uh, you know, and couldn't be happier for the sport. Are you still riding? You look as though you are. Uh, when it suits me, yeah, I do. Uh, I do like to uh, to get out on my own terms, uh, and I enjoy it all the more for that. I don't force myself out if I don't absolutely feel like it. Uh, but uh, I, I know as soon as I get out, um, so once I get out, I'm looking for ways to to make that ride as long as I can, as I have it, spend as long as I can out there. The weather's good and uh, and uh, it's nice and dry. I uh, still love getting out for a, for a full day on the bike, you know. I asked David Miller this question, so I'll ask you as well. When you look at uh, the cycling scene today and when you look at young British riders, do you wish you were starting out now? I do get asked that question quite a lot. And no, I don't, I, I don't spend any time wishing or dwelling on, on what, what, what I can't have. I mean, you know, who wouldn't like to be 20, 30 years younger uh, and be able to do things again? But uh, it certainly doesn't, it doesn't occupy my mind. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly satisfied with what I did in my career and, uh, and happy, to see, happy to see this success uh, that, that, that's happening for other people now. Uh, I don't spend any, any time wishing it was me. Malcolm Elliott, uh, good to see you. It's a pleasure. Well, I'm really pleased to uh, welcome to the Ruler podcast an absolute legend in cycling, Mario Cipollini. Mario, uh, welcome along. Thank you. Thank you very much. These days, I guess you're a businessman. Yeah, it's uh, my second life, no? I, I try to make my, better, my best uh, before when... Uh, I am a rider, and now I try to make my experience and my passion in my in my bike. I hope uh, the the people you like this is possible to to feel this uh, this this soul inside my bike. There's something very Italian about your bikes, I think. Yeah, I am Italian, and uh, I think the Italian you make the the school of the cycling and. Uh, in all of the cycling, technical, uh, agonistic, uh, food, and uh, now is changing the world. You, your world in uh, is is changed, but the the, the base is uh, you have uh, inside of the cycling, inside of the Italian. It's my style is Italian style. I think it is normal. You were not uh, just stylish on the bike when you were riding, you were stylish off the bike as well. Um, do you look at cycling today and think it's maybe not as glamorous, not as stylish as it was when you were riding? All is changed. No, only on the cycling, in the sports. I think so you, you reflect through the 20 years ago in the sport, you have an incredible champion. Every sport, you have a one champion. Now is a, the, the, you have the guys, the people is very strong, but 
not the very important for make the, 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 the children to come in the sports. Not as inspirational, maybe. No, not have a, I think it's, it's very, it's very different. Before you have more, more personality. Now he's a very strong uh, rider, but he's uh, only with the, the, the other people you 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 drive the rider. Is no singular mind. Talking about things like uh, the radios in in the ears oh, and, the, oh, and, and the measuring and the computers now, and everything. Now, after the race, in an interview, you see you you, you feel the, the same the same. All day is the same. Before is different. I remember Pantani. I remember Indurain. I remember Saroni. I remember Moses De Vlamico, the other big champion. You have a big heart inside it's, it's possible to come outside of the cycle but now is different and when you see Cavendish or Kittle or people like that do you sit there thinking I could have beaten him every sprinter you have the incredible mind every day he thinks you are the best for me I am the more strong for the Vlamic thinks you have the best for the other sprinters. Is, uh, sprinters not only in the legs, in the mind, you know, but it's very nice. You have a big sprinter every 10 years, but I stay for 17 years. Mario Cipollini, we miss you in cycling. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. The incomparable Mario Cipollini there, and I guess for better or worse, the days when a rider could turn up on the podium dressed as a Roman senator are finally gone. Well, that's almost it from this Ruler podcast. But of course, there's one cycling great we haven't yet spoken to, and we've actually come outside the venue to see the unveiling of his 2016 team vehicle. He is, of course, Kenny Van Vlamink of uh, Top Bonk Sleppers. Uh, Kenny, are you enjoying the show so far? Yeah, it's okay, huh? Yeah, there was a possibility to go inside a, a nice building with the, the new vehicle that we have, but uh, there was a big problem, which is uh, not so good. I talked to Ian Cleverly in the contracts, also to Bruce Sandale. It is a big problem for me, but outside we can we can uh, we can solve this problem. But this is a this is the vehicle also like I need. It is simple. It is an essence of transportation. Could you describe it to us? It is a Citroën from France. And it is old, but it can carry things. Also, we have a very small stereo and two cup holders and a place to put small items. I have many small items. Also, we can get one and a half bicycles inside. It's not the Team Sky tour bus, is it? Yeah, but you look at Sky, but where is the happiness? The Team Sky, it is a sad team. Always sadness. I am uh, on the phone only yesterday to uh, Sean Satan. And also to Rodney Ellingford, always asking the questions of the technology for me. But I say, Rodney, it's not possible. We just heard from Mario Cipollini, and of course, during your career, you had um, good connections with, with Mario. Yeah, I, know, I know Mario while we drink, how we talk, we, uh, we cycle the bicycles. I show him the canals inside Belgium. I show him many things. I show him my loft also. He come to my loft many times. But... Again, available game, 1993. Uh, we are in the break. 
13 riders because a level crossing is coming down, separating the peloton. I am the 13th guy. I'm waiting, waiting. In Mario, he, he's afraid I see. In his eyes, the fear of Kenny because he knows my tempo is the biggest of the small tempos. He said to me, Kenny, in Italian also, I need to, to take this classic. But I fear you. I am afraid of the power of Kenny. He pay me. I, I hold the tempo. He take the victory. Mario bought Gent Vevelgen from never, you. I never say this before, but ah, we move on. Huh? Of course, the other great Belgian rider who's here um, at the Rouleau Classic is Eddie Max. I imagine you've, you've caught up with him and, uh, and, and reminisced a little. Yeah, I have a problem with Eddie. Always he's uh, greedy in the races, taking too many of the classics. Uh, and uh, so I have a little bit of a problem with Eddie because I sometimes feel that uh, had we been racing at the same moment, it would have been a different story. And inside, in the mind of Eddie, because he see it, Sometimes he comes to Gitz for the clog festival, often, and also the vegetable carving of the semi-professionals in the lawn mowing. He comes to this sometimes, and I see, I speak, I say to Eddie, you know, Kenny is the number one, and he, he cannot meet my eyes. This is the problem. Of course, during your career, a lot of people said that there was a little bit of Eddie Merckx in you. Yeah, I think uh, because I am from Belgium, of course, and he is a Flandrian, it... Uh, it's possible that this is so. I, in my generation of the 1990s and a small portion of the 2000s also, the 20s, I was, I guess, reminiscing of Eddie in the essence of the tempo. Except he won a lot of races. Yeah, this is a small detail. Huh? Eddie won a lot of races, but uh, you know, sometimes he has a lot of luck. And also, there's not so many top-class professionals eating all the wrong food, always the cheese. And so, and the training, ah, but Eddie, sometimes he's lucky. And he knows it. Eh? I know he has a problem with this. Kenny van Vlamek, as always, a, a pleasure to talk to you. That's the end of this uh, special edition of the Ruler Podcast. We'll see you for the next one. Uh, Kenny, before you go, any particular message for the uh, listeners to the Ruler Podcast? Yeah, I, uh, thank you for having me inside uh, the United Kingdom of England. But the one thing to say to the many fans of the Ruler is never place another person's tempo inside your own tempo. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 